Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 6th of 2018. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh for HockeyHurts.com. And this is going to be the second podcast of the week, but only the first that you'll hear. <laughs> <laughs> had, a, had a good one uh, the other night, but the uh, the recording thingy didn't agree. <laughs> So, well, you know, it was the greatest podcast of all time. Uh, mine just stopped working, and Cam's only recorded him. <laughs> I only recorded the important parts, so yep, we're good. Pretty much. So uh, <laughs> we're going to try and do a condensed version of it, because we're sneaking this in uh, tight window uh, with uh, different things that are going on uh, for Cam and, and myself, so... Uh, we wanted to talk about the Sedins, who announced their retirement uh, the other day, and how fascinating their their career has been. And since that podcast, they closed off uh, the Vancouver chapter in their careers in quite impressive fashion the other night, I think. That was pretty cool. That was pretty awesome, actually. And we got listener questions, and we're going to try and rehash um, as many of those as possible talk a little bit about the penguins so the sedines it's sad they're going but uh fully you know understand why i mean what what else can you really say about them? i mean the only the only black mark against them is the fact that they never won that cup and to be perfectly honest there's a lot of you know superstar players that don't so as far as i'm concerned straight into the hall of fame it's been a a pleasure and a blessing to be able to actually watch them over the course of their career. And, you know, like you said, that the last game they played against Arizona, they really did turn back the clock. Um, some of the stuff they were able to do in that game and, and the way they finished it off, you know, appropriately, Edler was involved as well. So it was, um, it was really, really good fun. Yeah, their, their career has been terrific. They're fun players to watch. It's so unique to have your twin brother uh, not only be by your side at that level, but both play at a Hall of Fame level. That's that's outstanding. And to your cup comment, I mean, they came really close that year. Tim Thomas uh, went into God mode. <laughs> yes, he did. And that was that. But they do have a gold medal, which is really impressive in the NHL uh, Olympic era. At least in my opinion, I think those gold medals are pretty pretty nice achievements. Well, that'll sit high on their priority list anyway. I assume, uh, but I'm sure they wanted that Stanley Cup as well. Oh, of course. But the problem with that is there's 31 fucking teams now. It doesn't make it easy. There's going to be more and more Hall of Fame players that do not win a Stanley Cup. When there were six teams and you were a great player and you didn't get one, it was kind of like, geez, what the hell are you doing? But that hasn't been the case for a while. I just find it amazing that they did such a good job of making the third wheel of that line good as well. Like, you know, really, really did, you know, how everyone says that Crosby made Kunitz and, and – um, and Dupuy will Burroughs dined out on their um, 
on their wing for, for years. They just made the game look so simple. Yeah, what did I call Burroughs the last time we recorded? Oh, I can't remember now. Sorry. Uh, oh. Uh, poor man's Kunitz. Yes, that's right. He was a poor man's Chris Kunitz. But he did um, he did well there. I mean, you, you do have to find the, the right player to uh, be a part of that. But um, their ability to adjust and adapt to their environment around them is um, is what makes them so great. Yeah, and really interesting how they became to be teammates because if I recall uh, gosh I read the hockey news article from years ago I'm going to butcher all of this and no I'm not going to pull up the article I don't care that much Brian Burke <laughs> knew he was going to get one of the Sedins I think he was number two overall but he also was like down the draft a little bit more, like eight-ish or something. He made a bunch of side deals, Brian Burke did, and ended up getting the second and third pick. But acquired the pick with at, something with Atlanta where they promised not to take the, uh, a Sedin number one overall. <laughs> they got Patrick Stefan. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, not, not great. But was that Don Woodell? I think it was. It had to have been. And, uh, Enough said. He multiple moves, and he got both of them. And talk about a franchise-changing trade. I mean, two Hall of Famers in a draft that, if you look back through the people chosen that year, pretty crummy. Yeah, not great, Bob. Yeah, not great. Not great at all. So, really... Uh, probably been a real fun what is it is it 18 years 17 they played yeah so doesn't feel that way but yeah it's been 17 years and a, a good quality brand of hockey that is aesthetically pleasing highly skilled highly cerebral uh they're right up my alley for what i want to see nhl players do uh, I don't. I'm not so interested in seeing stuff I can see at the local rink on a random Thursday night. Uh, I want to see the best of the best do things that you know the regular folk can't do in the Sedines. But between their brain and their hands, <laughs> they did that nightly. Oh yeah, it was the thing. It wasn't like a once-off. It was yeah, pretty much every night. There was always something to watch um, that was out of the ordinary. And I, I think that's one of those things that as Pittsburgh fans over the last you know, 10 years, 12 years, got to realize how lucky you are to see the talent that you see in front of you. So, you know, quite clearly the Vancouver fans understood it at the end. Um, but they uh, copped an awful lot of flack, those two boys, for being a little different and for being twins. Yeah, they did catch flack. And the, all the old boring, stale tropes of your non-physical European players and Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, all that. <laughs> all of that. Um, I guess the only uh, check mark against the Sedins you could make, and it's not so much something that I would be totally critical of because when you sign contracts, it's a two-way agreement. And it was 
they kind of held Vancouver hostage for the last few years. Clearly a team that needed to rebuild, and when you rebuild, you, you trade uh, aging, quality players. Problem well, being... that would be them. $14 million, One, you can't find a team to take that on. Two, if you did, what return are you getting? Three, do the Twins agree to it? So it was probably just a perfect storm of variables that came together. A very unique situation. Uh, but they they Matt Sundined the the Canucks, like I I you're exactly right. But I look at it in the context of you go okay, so maybe the last two years out of sixteen were a little bit on the downside. It's not a bad ratio, is it? When you think about it, no. So that would be the only thing that Vancouver needed to acquire futures, and just couldn't couldn't do it with that situation and it's the Sedin's right to stay it's not their job to build the team but um, I do think it hurt the the Canucks uh, but I do not hold that against the Sedin's no but that's that's the reality of of the contracts you, you I think everybody knows there's an opportunity cost at the end of a contract you know and this is a prime example. Two players, $7 million, they're not going to go anywhere, but together, no one can fit $40 million in. It's just the opportunity cost of having the awesome time with them. Yes. There have been plenty of crappy moves made by Vancouver to why they're in a rebuild. So, Yeah, this isn't really one of them. <laughs> no. Not quite. So, um, so yeah, uh, I think they play... Do they play tonight or tomorrow on the road and that's it? I'm not sure. I, I don't think it really matters anymore. They got their awesome wind-up in their, in their home game. So You know, the last time... I wonder... Oh, geez. Obvious, duh. Uh, the one that meant a lot to me as a kid was Mario's last home game against the Flyers. Late in the game, Ian, Ian Moran... Uh, got that puck up to him on a breakaway and Lemieux scored because the, the Flyers were way better than the Penguins and it was kind of known that that was going to be Lemieux's last home game because they were going to lose the next game I believe uh, so going off on home ice on a high note is always really cool to see when you're talking about Hall of Fame caliber player and in this case players assisting yeah, well, on one another perfect yeah, it was great. Like, you know, fairy tale in. So, best wishes to the Sedins. I think Heinrich already said he's going to be training for a marathon. So, uh, not giving up the sport altogether, I see. So, he would still be physically active, just not on the ice. No. Um,. So, yeah, that's our condensed uh, version of what we had the other day. Where shall we go next? All right. So, we'll jump into the uh, listener questiones. And we'll start off with a simple one. Jesse Marshall. Assessment of Matt Hunwick's return to the lineup. I believe you already took my line from the other podcast. It's where I, that's where I grabbed it. 
Not great, Bob. Pete Campbell. <laughs> Madman. <laughs> That's um He's he doesn't bring anything unique to the team and he's he, he doesn't defend well enough to he's a square peg in a round hole. Really? Yeah. I yeah. There's there's nothing that he can offer that Chad Ruedel can't and Ruedel can skate a little better. And for me, that ability to get up and down the ice is more important than any physicality that they, they might claim that Hunwick has over over Ruedel. And that's really all it is. It, it's literally Ruedel and Hunwick swapping in and out. The other five are pretty well set. Yeah, and quite frankly, last night against Columbus, Ruedel joined the play on a rush like from the backside and, and got the puck and contributed to some sustained zone time and it was only one shift uh that was that i'm talking about right now but hunwick doesn't do that or doesn't try to i don't know if it's he's not able i i don't feel as though he tries to to push play offensively <clears throat> hunwick and doesn't pinch quite frankly pittsburgh's not a defensive team so why not own who you are and play Ruido, who also is a right-handed shot, and it prevents people from playing on their offside, anyways. Yeah, because not everybody's like a Paul Martin that can just do it. No, that's very true. The other thing for me is though that he doesn't. Hunwick doesn't pinch. He knows his skating's limited in regards to his ability to start, stop, and push back to get back if the puck gets past him, and um. Ruedel does. Ruedel does, I think, a, a, a much better job at trapping the puck in the zone on the wall. Um, and with the way this team operates, and they do get three forwards low when they get aggressive on, on their cycle, um, any chance you've got for a defenseman to come in and pinch just to allow the F3 to get high even so that you can stop a three-on-two or a three-on-one is is vital to, to this team's ability to um, shelter their goalies at the moment. And with guys like Patrick Hornquist, who are very successful in front of the net, the, the a component they need to have success is the puck has to eventually find its way there. And I do think Ruedel, um, he doesn't pass up too many shots. Like he's got that simple snapshot, uh, knee to ankle high, uh, that easily tippable gets him through. Um, and I like that. So... I, there's just no reason to, to play Hunwick. His sample this year has not been uh, great. And I don't, you know. No, but they needed to play him before the playoffs because he's going to play. The reality is Pittsburgh are not going to go through with the same six. I just I can't see it happening. If they go all the way through to the end of the cup and win it, they're not going to have played. They're not going to have six defensemen that have played all, every game. You're speaking injury. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, last year they, you know, realized they didn't have Chris Letang and they really loaded up on having volume of defensemen back there and they did end up using them. Um, but if any defenseman goes down for any length of time, it's going to be Hunwick as your number six and um, everybody's going to have to go up the lineup. I think that's the thing that, that worries me with this sort of situation is that um, lose a lose a Brian Dumoulin 
all of a sudden you're asking Oli Marta to be Brian Dumoulin and everybody's got to go up the line at one spot. So defensive depth more than um, offensive depth can really get killed via an injury with this team. Yeah, without Cole. Yeah, and that's not trying to say Cole's a, um, a make or break, but just in regards to depth in the lineup, it, it, it can certainly um, can certainly hurt you if they get injured. So it's fingers crossed as far as I'm concerned. Well, you can find Jesse's work on The Athletic, and I'm guessing once he gets the matchup finalized, he will have some good X's and O's breakdowns based on how uh, previous Penguins games went against uh, their potential opponent, which right now is 40-something percent Columbus and 30-something percent Devils. And the Flyers are still uh, in there, so it all. Oh, we could also have it tonight. We could have a tiebreak game, couldn't we? <laughs> Not with the Penguins, but yes, uh, the Flyers and Panthers that was announced today. Apparently, there's a situation that exists where the Flyers and the Panthers can tie. Not only points in the standings, regulation wins, but uh, goal differential head to head. Whatever all the tiebreakers are, the NHL ran out of them because there's a situation where they could tie on all of them. And if that were to happen, there would be a one-game playoff. So this is where, not that we're really going to spend much time on this, but this is what I don't understand. Florida right now currently have 42 wins. Now, the only way they can make the playoffs is if they make it to 44 wins which would make them the same wins as New Jersey. And if Philadelphia win their next game, they're on 42. They're on, well, actually, Philadelphia can't win another game. I don't understand it. Florida would have 44 wins and Philly would only have 41. I don't understand how they can even tie. Regulation it just... wins? It's if Florida gets like two shootout wins or some bullshit. Uh, There's a lot that's oh, going okay. into it. Yeah, all right then. Okay, I've got you. I just find it frustrating. It's not a, a likely that, scenario. No, I understand. But a team that has 14 overtime losses, thus have lost 40 games this year, could get, like, due to the way the point system works, we'll, would have a team get knocked out who actually lose less games than themselves than them. I just, this whole point system has to change. And I know we'll probably go over it again in the offseason, but... Over like shootout losses and overtime losses shouldn't garner you a point. I just want the three two one system. Yeah, and it would solve it would solve my complaint. Absolutely. Um, all right. So next question before we get completely sidetracked, uh, Ronnie at uh, Matthew underscore Ronnie. How bad is the Pens goalie situation? Who would you prefer to play in the playoffs, CBJ or Philly? Okay, so we'll do the goalie thing first. Um, it's not a great situation right now because Matt Murray is near the bottom of the league in high danger save percentage this year. He's in the bottom tier of starters for goals saved above average, which I think are two useful metrics. And he's not having a great season. Uh, still making great saves. At times, because he's he's very talented, 
Uh, but man, that Wierenski goal, like that kind of stuff, it's just. That's that's the sort of goal that a lot of people crucified Fleury for. Yeah, and um, those ones it that the, 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 wasn't the goalie the, personally you were crucifying. It was the type of goal. Yeah, and, and no. my standard will stay the same with um, you know, Murray as no matter what as numbers, it was Fleury. Yeah. And you can't have no, those. I, no, you can't. The, the, this team, as offensively gifted as it is, you can't give up goals like that in the playoffs. And he hasn't yet. <laughs> well, we haven't got there yet, have we? No. <laughs> so the goaltending situation is obviously not as good as it was a year ago. Um, this I will say, Flurry had a pretty bad regular season last year. Oh, he did. Absolutely and he did. He, he played great in the first two rounds. So I think... It's possible Murray plays well in the playoffs. It's possible any goalie can turn it on in the playoffs. You've got to be – we just used the Tim Thomas example. Like, that that was such an aberration of his career in regards to – because it was such an aberration for the league history how good that was. And Murray has the skill sets to, you know, turn in a performance he turned in the last couple of years. So – it's not like it's not there. It's just a question of whether it's going to actually come out for him. And that's the, that's always the, the big question with, with goalies in this situation. And Fleury's having a career year fundamentally for Vegas this year. Um, and he needs to prove that he can carry a career year in the regular season into the postseason and, and play well. So, you know, there's lots of question marks on, on goalies. Well, look at Washington. Who are they going to start? Everybody, I've read a lot of suggestions that Grubauer should be their starter because Holt, Holtby sort of tapered off into the end of the year. But do you really want to go in and not have your, you know, your, your top dollar guy be your starter? That's a tough one because Grubauer is playing absurdly good. Uh, but Holtby has seasons of samples of him playing Correct. as well. And yep. It's, uh, I think you, uh, <laughs> they have a good goaltending situation that, that would be my take, <laughs> um, yeah. on that. And then who would you rather, who would you rather CBJ or Philly? Um, Philly, I, I think Columbus is better. I believe Pittsburgh swept both of them though. I did. Which means nothing, because the Penguins swept the Bruins back in 2012-13. Yeah. Until... Does it feel like Pittsburgh's got Bob's number, though? Yeah. This weird stuff goes on when he plays Pittsburgh for I... a goalie that is undoubtedly ridiculously awesome. One of the best what of his generation. Happens? Yeah. Double Vesna winner. And I think I wrote today, his career all-situation save percentage is 921, which is among the best of all time against Pittsburgh's it's nine Oh nine. And that is not including the playoffs, which would probably sink it lower. And the other thing that I find bizarre is how right now, currently in the last few games, Pittsburgh have no problems bouncing pucks in off him. He's so hyper aggressive and, and so out of place that he just, Let's pucks bounce in off him. When I say let's, it just happens. It's like, what is going on here? 
weird. But again, the you've got quite firepower on Pittsburgh, and you're in the wrong division as a goalie. <laughs> Actually, and on top of the rather play Philly thing, Philly's goaltender situation is in a state of flux. Neuwirth's injured. Morazic's been a yo-yo, which was... always injured. No, I realize that. Um, And then Elliot's only just come back. So I think he'll play the... He played the second last game. He'll play the last game, I would assume. And then it would be throwing to the Wolves, basically. But Columbus or Philly, it really should be um, Columbus or New Jersey. Those are the two highest probable um, teams right now, according to Micah, Blake McCurdy's uh, Hockey Viz. And I'll pull so that's, that. the other, that's the other thing. I don't know if I really want a part of New Jersey. No, I'm not worried. About that matchup, I think uh, Pittsburgh played well in some of those games. Uh, some there there were um, there was that one where they they did get their teeth kicked in. I'm I'm more about the New Jersey have enough pieces in the right places to pull an upset. I don't think they've got enough to go deep. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Keith can Taylor... kind of playing no. out of his uh, potential at, uh, yep. skewed some of that, I think. Yep. But Absolutely. he wouldn't be playing. It would be Corey Schneider. <laughs> and I still, as much as Schneider struggled the last 18 months, I still would go, he's certainly got the potential to, to flick a switch and, and just put it together. Thinking if, if all this time off's helped him actually get healthy, because he's shown struggles in his hips and his groins in regards to being able to push and adjust um, yeah, when attempting to make right. repeat he saves. He hasn't had a great year. Um, starting in 2010-11, when he was the main backup for Luongo, I'll rattle off his save percentages in all situations. 929 937, 927, 921, 925, 924. Last year, 908. This year, 909. Yeah. He's, he struggled with injuries the last two years. And if this Keith Kincaid streak just allows him to stay healthy, I actually think whoever Jersey played, they'll start Kincaid in the first game anyway. Um, it just feels like that's the way they want to go. Um, and, and Schneider's 31. Yeah. A lot of his good years were wasted being a backup. Well, that's what happens when you sit behind Marty. I reckon they win that cup if if he was starting. But, you know, whatevs. I'm good with New Jersey not winning. Yeah, I figured that would be the answer to that. <laughs> I, actually, uh, I actually don't mind watching them play anymore. Taylor Hall. It's a hell of a thing getting players like that. Um, all right, so what we'll yeah, it's funny how the team changes. Um, all right, so we'll get to Britt Engel's question, only because I think it'll bleed into something else. Uh, is there a correlation with Rick Tockett leaving and the power play improving? There's no correlation with any of that shit. 
because the popular theme before the season began was what is Phil Kessel going to do without Tockett? I don't know. Have a career year, I guess. Like the idea that Phil needed Rick Tockett to be successful is just Uh, ridiculous. It's, it's a special kind of dumb. (laughs) Yep. Phil does Phil, no matter who is coaching him or who is on his team or he's been on great teams. He's been on crummy teams and, and he's the same guy. No different whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, come on. Absolutely. And I don't think there's any correlation with the power play stuff. I just think you have, look at the talent on that thing. It does help, doesn't it? Like, even if you run a shit power play, they're still going to make plays. I don't think they run a shit power play. When they get their feet moving a little bit. Like, if Latang's uh, walking the blue line, kind of like Gontrar used to. You well, know, that was the discussion we had, wasn't it? In yeah. the podcast that doesn't exist, yeah. When, when Latang gets moving, and I'm actually watching a Penguins power play right now. Um, well, Latang isn't out there. It's Schultz. Uh, what I like from Schultz is he, he will fire the puck more, which helps utilize Hornquist. Because if you're going to have him on the power play, again, you need the puck to be in that area for him to do the things that make him uh, valuable to the team. But, um, no, I don't think that Rick Tockett. Like, I don't have anything against the guy, but. No, he wasn't the Kessel Whisperer. No. And he he certainly, I don't think he did anything special on the power play. I think he just went out there and said, most of the basic stuff you tell your kids, keep moving, create two-on-ones, shoot the puck and rotate. It's. You end up with the skill out there that does all the the fancy stuff without having to think. So it buys you mistakes. Just the hands and skills of those guys out there. And having Phil has uh, totally changed the dynamic of the power play. Uh, Sid and Gino in their um, prime years, Sid just scored from behind the net on the power play. Hashtag Sid down low. <laughs> Got how far behind is my coverage? Well, it's got to get to Australia. Oh, uh, I know. I've got good internet now. It's not. It's not done by. Um, it's not done by a can and a piece of string. No. Cross. I'm waiting. Waiting. Good God! I'm still on it. Anyway, um, we'll move on. We'll move on from that because uh, the next one. But I'll yeah. say this. Uh, I wanted to finish my thought on because it kind of is the reason this goal happened is. Having Uh Phil on the left uh, hash opens lanes up, and that's something they never had. Remember when Aginla came on board and, like, that was the big deal? They finally have a righty? Yeah. Well, that was like a flash in the pan of having that person. And Kessel gives them such a different look, and it's been great for all the players involved because I think – 
between Phil, Sid, and Gino. They, Phil is first in the league in power play points, and Sid and Gino are tied for third. I believe was the graphic that uh, the Penguins broadcast put up tonight. So, yeah. I'm just I'm just watching that goal. Is he shot that so hard at Anderson, knowing exactly what he wanted to do? It's amazing. Um, next question: The Hosang one. Thoughts on Hosang's comments on being sent down for poor defense? It seems similar to how Sprong is treated. That's from uh, VP underscore Ryan C. Yeah, um, you're gonna uh, if you're gonna be in a position to, to coach. Uh, players or be a general manager or any any role in management or coaching uh, at the professional level or even at the high school level that I'm at, you'd better have reasons for why you're doing things because players now have information available to them. They can look at that information and they can start asking their own questions. And I believe they deserve answers to those questions. And when Ho Sang's getting sent down for defensive reasons and the New York Islanders are one of the worst defensive teams in the league, I mean, I, I don't think he's he's wrong for questioning the result. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, you can't just – it's gone are the days of a coach just being able to say – just because I said so. Man, that's how lame done, was yeah? it that that was ever a thing? Yeah, but it was. No, I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's just the reality. You, you just can't you just can't do anything about it now. It, it's players need to know why. And you, um, I saw a couple of really good tweets, and you did mention it on the other podcast. Um, uh, was it Jim Mora? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Jim Mora was the UCLA coach. And he coached Josh Rosen, who's one of the top quarterback prospects. And he was talking about these millennials, they ask too many questions. And it's like, hey, doofus, uh, that's a good thing. You don't like it because you don't have the answers. Pretty much. You know? Or not. So, power outage. <laughs> Sorry. This podcast is just never meant to happen. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, so, anyways, I was talking shit about Jim Mora, and then you uh, disappeared. Vanished, yeah. But it it's just silly to think that, uh, especially... Like, like the quarterback position to have upset that somebody questions stuff like and asks the hows and the whys. It sounds like somebody that wants to be the best at what they can be. Yeah, you want someone that's engaged. I would prefer someone to ask questions. The, the question why is a brilliant question in any um, any form of life, whether it be sport or business or particularly at school. So, um, yeah, I would much prefer that to be the... Uh, that to be the case so i do not get upset when players like hosang who has his flaws ask questions and sprung 
you know, he was looking at his data from earlier in the year, and he knows that he played well in his NHL time this year. Uh, he scored his 29th AHL goal tonight. <clears throat> seems uh, seems weird and silly all this message sending to younger players. Oh, it's it's uncomfortable. It's late. As far as I'm concerned, it's lazy coaching. It's just because basically what they're saying is I don't want to put the work into you to improve your flaws. I'm going to go with somebody that's safe, rather than you know try to get the most out of the skill sets that somebody has. And I, I, I find that um, short-sighted. And I also think that it overlooks the hard-to-do things in hockey with players like that. Yeah, I know this isn't the case, but there are times where it literally feels like the coach is like, oh, I don't want to help this kid out. He doesn't have my work rate that I had when I was a player. I know he's got all this skill in the world. Jeez, if I had that skill, I'd be Sidney Crosby. That's not the case. But that's what it—that's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah, right. So you know, I think we've on you know all our other previous podcasts have kind of spoken how we feel on the topic. Yeah. All right. Well, I've literally got about five minutes left. So, is there anything in particular, Penguins-wise, you want to cover off on? Were there any other questions that we can fire through? Um, uh, overused cliche. No, 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 no. Um, nothing that we can't... Okay, so actually, this is one. I don't even know if we did this the other day, but I, I kind of want to. Uh, this is from John Mitchell. Based on the savvy Brassard trade, including the cap circumnavigation and having Vegas take Reeves, was Botterill's cap management uh, overestimated? And is it time to give Oliver and Rutherford some love? Uh, I have to be honest, as if that happened under Botterill, you'd be singing his praises. So I have to admit, that's the last point you make there, John. It's not a bad one. I don't think anybody didn't sing the praises of that Broussard trade. Uh, no, no, no. So exactly that's right. a straw man, as we like to say. <laughs> that is creating a situation that doesn't exist. I don't think uh, anybody had anything bad to say about it. So overall, the impressions of Rutherford without Botterill? Like this year? Yeah. I mean, Sheehan trade was good because it was followed up with Broussard. It took a while to get to Broussard, but it got done. I And it's one of those things for me. I, I don't mind the fact that it took time. I, I still think um, I still think Botterill had a big influence early on, and I have a feeling that um, the changes that were made with Botterill there in regards to showing a little bit more um, interest in numbers and looking at players from different uh, different uh, areas as opposed to drafting certainly helped Rutherford's cause, um, but. You can't deny that the he, Rutherford, Rutherford's a little bit like Brian Burke. Usually wins a trade. You know, yeah. it hasn't really been a trade that he's lost. It's it's more a matter of um, contract negotiations. He doesn't seem to win if you look at it from the club's perspective. 
Um, and talent um, evaluation at times is a bit of a problem. And um, right, I now, think where Batterell shined was the farm system and developing uh, players to have them NHL ready. And you know, those Cup teams had a bunch of guys that jumped up on the dirt cheap. And I'll say this: the my local team, the Rochester Americans, have not made the playoffs in a number of years. Uh, they made the playoffs this year because uh, Botterill has committed to making that product better. And eventually the Sabres are going to uh, reap the, the benefits and rewards that much like the Penguins did. Yeah. And, and having guys come up and be NHL ready. And, you know, I think that's a big part. And if you look at some of the Penguins' recent drafts, it's been uh, some some things to be desired, low ceiling defenseman kind of stuff. That's so. the bit that, that baffles me. You can see, um, you can see that the way the league's moving, you need talent and speed, right? Why any team would draft a player that you can go, well, this guy's only going to get to this sort of ceiling. That's the bit that baffles me. That's the bit that's got me befuddled. And Pittsburgh aren't alone in doing that. So, uh, as far as the Penguins, quickly, um, just, I'm curious to what Broussard's actual status is. Not that Riley Sheehan can't play that role for a bit of time. I just think it's a Huge difference having him on the fourth line and having Broussard uh, play up on that third line. It, it starts to mimic the 2015-16 team a little bit more, which was the good one. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. and that's Because that's I don't think you're going to get the goaltending from last year, which was a necessity based on how they were playing. Um, I think the process is a lot better this year for the Penguins heading into the playoffs. And uh, having Chris Letang is probably a big part of that. So, yeah, that'll help. <laughs> that'll help. Well, um, if you have to run, then yes, unfortunately I do. I have to get my ass out of here. Um, you guys know where to find all that stuff. Yeah. So um, we'll worry about that uh, at another podcast. Yeah, that, this was the condensed version. Technical difficulties, even in this one. Uh, apologies. Cross, yeah. It's um, been a little bit absurd, but at the same time, you know, it's snowing in April here. So what is going <laughs> right? Yeah, that's definitely wrong. All right, guys, thanks so much for uh, putting up with the difficulties, and uh, hopefully we'll get a better one in um, after the first couple of playoff games. Yeah, or maybe even a playoff preview. So. Oh, that's being positive. I like that. Yeah, that's uh, class half full. <laughs> we won't talk about the other half of that class, though. Nope, 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 nope. All right. Uh, see you next time. See you, guys.